unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I know.
Father, may that be true in each of our lives this morning. Speak your truth into our hearts. Speak your truth into our minds. Tear away the lies that deceive us and help us to trust completely in your love and your mercy and your purposes for our lives. We love you and we seek to glorify you with all that we are. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Please be seated. Father, it is an amazing thing to consider your greatness, the power of who you are, your majesty. We come today to worship you, to bow before you in adoration and praise. We also come today, Father, to bring to you the burdens and the concerns of our hearts, of our world. And we do this because you invite us to do this. You welcome us. You encourage us. So today we pray for the needs and the burdens that we represent. Bring comfort to those who are grieving. Bring healing to all who are struggling with with illness and pain. We pray especially for Gwen Mercer and Bethy Liddick, for Paul Johnson and Phil Maine and Dan Gurley, for Florence Tuber and Rosalind Danner and Isabella Doherty, for Gus and Louise Princell and Nancy Cole, Peter Lingenfelter and Doris Esepian, for Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson, for Bill Getty, for Mike Raybuck and Bebrett, Emily Cricklar, others who are on our minds today, bring your healing grace to each of them. We pray, Father, that you will restore all that is broken in our lives, our relationships, the hurts and the pains that we've experienced. And Father, as we think about the future, give us hope as we wait for you and trust you. Father, we pray for our nation and our world As we've watched the events in Washington unfold over the last few weeks, Father, we feel a burden about, about the need for civility. The kind of civility that we saw in Jesus, his disciples, through the history of your people. Let your church be the catalyst for that. Father, we pray for those who are dealing with tragedies and disasters in this nation and around the world. We think, continue to pray for Puerto Rico and the Carolinas and other places. We ask that you would bring hope and healing. And may your people be a presence of your spirit. We think of places of war and violence and ask that you would bring peace. We pray for refugees as they look for safe, secure places to live, to raise families, to to be what you've called them and created them to be. And we ask that you will help your church to be a source of help and hope. Father, we thank you for all that you are doing around the world. We pray today for Indonesia as they again... Recently suffered another earthquake and tsunami and devastation and death. Bring your healing grace to bear on this nation of people you dearly love. We pray for the Christiansons as their family ministers there, for John and Sylvia in their translation work, and for Bethany as she teaches in the school, and Paul and Jenny as, as they work on Batam Island. May each of them know your grace and strength in their tasks to help people know you. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Indonesia, a difficult place. We ask that you would protect them, 
We pray that you'd give them strength in the midst of opposition and threats. May, may the presence of Christ shine through them as they serve you and as they love their neighbors. Father, we thank you for all that you are doing for us. We thank you for your grace at work here and around the world. We thank you, Father, for the ministry of of the um, Sojourners Mennonite Fellowship in Belfast and Pastor Connie Finney. May your blessing rest upon them as they serve you and, and as they worship you and as they serve their community. And Father, we thank you for what you're doing here in this gathering of believers. And this weekend, when we have probably reconnected with alumni and family and friends, we thank you for the privilege of serving together with the college. We pray, Father, that you will give a strength and wisdom as we serve you in this place. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 32, verses 30 to 35. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. This is the word of the Lord. It is great to welcome uh, all of you who are here today and especially uh, extend a warm welcome to those of you who are guests today. Many of you, I assume, may be here for the weekend of activities at the college. It's great to see you as we worship together. Let me invite you to stand and to share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning.
So one of my uh, professors at uh, Gordon-Conwell, Haddon Robinson, uh, used to talk about, uh, you know, his, his frustration with people who didn't under, understand what it meant to be in the ministry. And, of course, I have come to the conclusion that none of us really understand what other people do in their jobs. You know, if you, you, sometimes you may wonder, so what do they do all day? I don't understand it. And they may ask us that, and we think, what do you mean, what do I do all day, right? And, uh, of course, you know, ministers are often the, the brunt of jokes. You know, we work one day a week and, you know, those kinds of things. And, and he, said, um, he said he had some friends who would particularly sort of needle him as much as they could. And he said one friend called him one day in the middle of the morning, and he said, hey, had, and he said, I hope I didn't wake you up. And he said, uh, he said you know, he said, you ministers have got it made. He said, if it's a good day, you get up, you do a little studying, you make a few calls. If it's a bad day, you roll over in bed and say your prayers. And he said, uh, I, hadn't said I, I said to this man, look, your statements tell me two things about you. One is, you really don't know very much about the ministry. And the other is, you really don't know much about prayer. And over the course of the years after I heard that, I've been thinking about that a lot. Not so much about the ministry part of it, but the prayer part of it. Because there is something in us that, that while we, we offer prayers, I wonder sometimes, and I ask myself this often, how seriously do we take the ministry of prayer? How important is it to us? And I think there is something deeper for us to understand about God's call to pray than what we probably experience. One of the fundamental truths of Scripture is that God is almighty. We just sang a few minutes ago, there's nothing greater than God. Nothing bigger, nothing of any form or shape greater than God. And that is one of the foundational elements, foundational teachings of Scripture. The first verse of Isaiah 59 says, it talks about the, how God is, is uh, his arm is not too weak to save you. His ear is not too deaf to hear you. There, are, there is nothing God cannot do. Scripture says nothing is impossible for God. The prophets and the teachings and the writings and all of Scripture, the underlying theme of it is nothing is too great for God. But there is a second fundamental idea in Scripture that is connected to that. And it is the idea that God creates human beings to be in relationship and ultimately in partnership with Him. That God calls out people, and then Israel, and then the church, to be His partners in 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 spreading the truth and, and in bringing about the, his purposes for the world. You see that in Genesis chapter 12. God calls out Abraham, and after he says, I'm going to bless you, he says, it's through you that I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. In a little different way, the prophet Ezekiel speaks about this. When he says, God looks at the at the the troubles of the earth, and he says, I looked for someone to stand in the gap. I looked for someone who would, who would stand between me and, and people, and I found no one. Later in Isaiah 59, God comes back to that idea once again, 
And in verse 16, he says that, it says that God was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. And what's fascinating to me is that the word intervened actually is the word that we translate intercession. There was no one who would be an intercessor for the people in need. There was no one who would pray for the people who were oppressed. There's no one who would stand between them. No one who would stand in their place and pray. And one of the dynamics of being a follower of God is that we are called to partnership with him. It's a phenomenal thing to ponder when you think about the almighty God who could do everything in a moment chooses to say, I'm going to accomplish my purposes primarily through my people. Now, what's interesting to me is that that same word that's used in Isaiah 59, 16 is also used in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has caused him to be an intercessor about our sin. It's, 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 this is a messianic prophecy. It's the work of Jesus in this world to stand in the gap, to be an intercessor, to be God's means of communicating his grace and his purposes in the world. That is what Jesus comes to do. But the interesting thing about that is that Jesus accomplishes that. Isaiah says it, and we see it as we read the Gospels. Jesus accomplishes that not through acts of power, but through vulnerability and sacrifice. God has laid on him what we deserved. And we know that we are saved not by a sword, but by a cross. And the calling of being intercessors, the calling of being people who stand in the gap, who pray for the needs of the world, are people who are willing to take upon themselves the hurt and the pain and the struggles of the world. It is an act of compassion. It's an act of love. It's an act of grace. It's an act of mercy. It is doing what Jesus does. And I have found that, th- that the more we pray for other people, the more that develops in us. I still remember, it's just about 39 years ago, almost to the day, that afternoon, Thursday afternoon, walking out of a classroom and feeling like I had just been run over by a semi-truck. Our our class was sort of mingling in the hallway, waiting for the second half of class to begin, looking like deer in the headlights, asking each other, what just happened here? We had just gotten through taking the first test of this course on the Pentateuch. And we looked at each other and said, I didn't even know what some of those words meant, much less had an answer for them. You can understand that this was... My junior year, and the spring before, I had answered God's call to ministry. And so this was my, I was in the the first semesters of beginning the biblical training. And so I was taking this class on the Pentateuch. And the professor had just arrived from grad school. 
from rabbinical school, actually, at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. And if you've ever had a professor who's teaching the first class out of grad school, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Right? I mean, they, they've learned, they got so much stuff that they've been learning that they want to just dump it all on you. And they want you to know everything that they know. And that first test was just unbelievable in the book of Genesis. I remember going to my mailbox a couple of days later, opening up, pulling out my exam, and dancing around the lobby of the, of the mailboxes going, I got a D, I got a D, yes, 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 this is awesome, I got a D. And, and I discovered later that out of the 25 of us, there were three Bs, one C, five Ds, and 17 Fs. Now you can tell how much that whole thing has been implanted into my memory because I still remember those numbers of who got what. <laughs> I got a D. And a note on my test said, bring your exam to class on Tuesday. And we all had that note. And so we brought, we kind of slunk into class on Tuesday thinking we are going to get a tongue lashing. And this new professor looked at us and, and he, he sat there a second, stood there a second, and he said, uh, I'm really disappointed. And we're all like, oh. And he said, I've been praying about this for the last two or three days. And then the tears began to well up in his eyes. And the tears began to run down his cheeks. And he said, I am so sorry. I failed you. And we're all looking at each other going, I'm pretty sure the problem's ours, not yours. (laughs) And, And he stood there in front of us, just so vulnerable. And he said, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And he said, I I, I have committed myself to being a better teacher. And if you will commit yourselves to be better students, unless we'll just throw out this first test and we'll start over again. There were some students who dropped the course after that. (laughs) One of the best decisions I ever made in my life was staying in that class. And I ended up taking seven more courses over those two years from the same professor. And I can tell you right now that academically, I came to life that day sitting in that classroom. I never really cared that much about learning. I just did what had to be done to pass the test. But now I have this desire to learn and to grow and to understand. I finally figured out what that big building was in the middle of campus that had a lot of books in it. I didn't know what that was before. And, 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 and it just totally transformed me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that I am here today because a lot has to do with that class. Because I had a professor who cared enough to pray and to take the burden that we created and put it on himself. And it transformed us. And God is calling us to that. That's what prayer is about. And, it, and it's costly to do that. It's hard to take other people's burdens on us. I mean, we have enough burdens ourselves. We're trying to offload our burdens. And the gospel is calling us to take on other people's burdens. And that's what praying is about. When we pray for other people, it's not enough to just roll over in bed and say our prayers. We have to, we engage with them. We love them. We feel their pain. We feel their burden. We feel the compassion and the agony that people are going through. That's the kind of praying that we see in Jesus. That's the calling of the gospel on God's people. And it's an investment. It's involvement. I mean, I I guarantee you, 
that if you want to hang on to what you have, if you want to hoard your, the gifts God's given you, the resources, your time, your talents, your treasures, if you want to hang on to those things and say, these are mine and I'm going to keep them, then I would encourage you to probably, it wouldn't be a good idea to engage much in intercessory prayer. Because the more we engage in intercessory prayer, the more God's going to speak to our hearts about the needs of other people. And he's going to continue to call us to give up our time, our talents, and our treasures. And the more we engage in it, the more time we want to spend. And God may tap us and say, you know, really, I'd like to use you to help meet that need. Those folks, that that organization, those people need some of the resources that I've given you. I suspect that most of the people who, who, have, who have extended themselves in some way, that that started by praying for the needs that they're now working about. It does cost us. It's a burden. God's asking us to take it. Amy Carmichael went to India in the latter part of the 19th century. When she got there, she uh, was a part of the, the missionary group. And she did what they did until she started understanding something about what was happening in the culture. And she was appalled. I mean, the girls in that culture typically were not treated very well to begin with. But because of a variety of circumstances, there was a common practice that girls would be either sold or given to the temple as prostitutes. And she was appalled by that, as you might imagine. She went to talk to the priest in the temple to say, surely they care, but they didn't. She talked to her fellow missionaries and they said, look, it's not our problem. She tried to push a little bit and and every time she did, the, the British government and even her own colleagues would come to her and say, stop, stop rocking the boat. We've got peace here. Things are calm here. Everything is working out here. Don't make waves. And after a while, she went to God in prayer. She said, Lord, it bothers me, but it's not my burden. I I can't do anything about it. It's just not my burden. It's not my problem. I got to let it go. And she said, as I was praying to God, I got this vision of Jesus kneeling, not underneath an olive tree, but underneath an Indian tamarisk tree. And she said, I looked at him and the tears were pouring down his face. And I went and I knelt next to him, she said, and he looked at me and he said, you're right, Amy, it's not your burden. It's mine. But I'm looking for someone who will bear this burden with me. And she turned to him and said, Lord, if it's your burden, then it has to be my burden. And she spent the rest of her life giving hope to young girls who had no hope. There is an engagement in prayer that I'm not sure we always see. I'm not sure I see. And we ask ourselves, is it worth it? 
mean, is, is it worth it to keep praying? I don't see anything changing. I, I pray and pray and pray and everything seems to be the same as it always was. It doesn't seem to make any difference. And we can come, become very cynical about prayer, to be honest with you. And that cynicism leads us to inactivity. We say, well, what's the point? The point is, we aren't the ones who determine how prayers are answered. God does. And somewhere in the midst of our praying, in the midst of our continued praying, there is a level of trust for God that how he answers, when he answers, the way in which he answers is perfect. Because it's him. He's the one answering. Because we know he's good and loving and kind and compassionate and merciful. And we can trust him. And we remember when we begin to doubt whether it makes any difference. We remember that Jesus told parables about plant, about the kingdom being like seeds being put into the ground. And seem like nothing. And after a while become something. And he told parables about planting a field that looks like nothing is happening. And you wait and you wait and you wait. And eventually a harvest comes. And we keep praying and we keep investing ourselves. And we keep paying the price. Because we believe God knows what he's doing. That God's answers are always best and always right and always good. We aren't trying to talk God into doing something he doesn't want to do. In fact, I sometimes wonder if the whole point isn't that God simply wants relationship with us and intimacy with us. And this is the most profound way to do that. Because the more we pray, the more we begin to realize that God is at work in us as we pray. Every bit as much as God is at work in the things we're praying about. It's trusting God's answers. Because our temptation is to think, if God's not going to answer, then we're going to have to do it. And sometimes our problem is not that we are inactive cynics. Sometimes our problem is that we are hyperactive messiahs. And we think... Well, if we're a part of this engagement, then it's all on us. God isn't doing what we want him to do, so we have to be the answer to everybody's prayers. We're the answer. We're the solution. We're the thing that people need. And we forget that we are not the answer. We're not the solution. It's God. John the Baptist was very clear when asked, are you the Christ? He said, I am not the Christ. And every one of us probably ought to wake up every morning and say, I am not the Christ. I've been given the privilege of being a part of God's kingdom, about being a part of sharing the message of Christ with other people. But I'm not the Christ. There's only one, and it's Jesus. And our prayers are not about us solving everybody's problems. Our prayers are being open to God and being willing to invest ourselves with God. Sometimes he lets us be a part of the solution. But we keep praying and investing. Because ultimately what we're really praying about is that people would experience the shalom of God. You know, shalom is is a word often translated peace. And it is that, but it's so much more than that. It's really wholeness. It means completeness. 
in an essence, it's saying that when we say, like in, even in, in modern Israel, when you greet someone or you leave someone, shalom, what we're really saying is we want you to experience the fullness of, of God in your life. We want you to experience what God created you to experience in all of his fullness and glory. It's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are in essence saying when we pray for other people, God, let your kingdom come in their life on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come in this circumstance on earth as it is in heaven. And we become people who are standing in the gap, connecting heaven and earth. Or as one writer says, we're a part of heaven's invasion into earth. And we're praying for God's kingdom to come. And that people would experience the fullness of who God is. And not because God doesn't want to do it. But because sometimes people are blind. And they miss it. And we're helping them see. I would say that Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Sons, probably one of the top ten books I've ever read in my life. And if you've not read it, I encourage you to do so. He talks about how we are much like the two brothers, the elder brother, the younger brother. We're a lot like them. And he, he writes, and, and, and as you read it, you see yourself in those two brothers. But the real turning point of the book, actually I think the point of the book, is that now one says the call of the gospel is not that we are somehow in affinity with the two brothers. The call of the gospel is that we are are created to be like the Father. We're created to be like the Father. We're created to be people who stand in the gap. I mean, I love the story of Moses. You know, Moses, you know, the, the backstory is about the, the golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain having this awesome experience with God, and God says to him, Quick, you better head down there, things are a mess. And he gets down and he finds out that they've taken all the, the jewelry and the gold that God the, caused, caused the, Israel, the Egyptians to give them when they left Egypt. They've taken it, they've melted it down, shaped it into a calf, and have said, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. This is the God who, who gave us the ability to escape from the Egyptians. And God says to Moses, I've had enough. I'm tired of their whining, they're complaining, they're turning on me, and now this. I want you to stand back. I'm going to take care of them and I'm going to start all over with you. And Moses' response stuns me. I think I would have said, really? You want to start with me? Wow, I feel so privileged. Okay, that would be awesome. Me? Really? Because honestly, God, I'm tired of their whining and complaining too. I mean, enough of leeks and onions. I get it. Egypt was get good food. We don't have that here, but enough of it. But instead, Moses almost literally stands between God and the people and says, please forgive them. Hear my prayer for them. They don't even realize the kind of danger they're in, but I see it. Forgive them. And then he says, Lord, if it's about them or me, then take me with them. Because I love these people. It's about having the compassionate heart of Jesus. And that's exactly what Isaiah 53 says that Jesus does for us. And here's the thing. As much as it may cost us, it's, a, it's an amazing privilege 
to be people who pray for others. I mean, to think about being partners with Almighty God. To think about helping people experience the fullness of God in their life. Helping people to know who God is and how God loves them and cares for them and desires to be in relationship with them. We get the privilege of helping people see that. To connect them with the, with the author of life and joy and hope and all that is good. When we pray for people, that's what we're doing. And it's an amazing privilege. And in the process, not only do we get the opportunity to help them see Jesus, but God works in us. And we draw closer to Jesus. And we experience more of the fullness of God in our lives too. We have a wonderful preschool here at the church. We're celebrating 50 years as Valley Preschool. I'm so grateful for the, for the people who 50 years ago had a vision of this preschool and, and, and what it might be able to do for not only the people in this church, but the wider community. And it has all those years. And we're celebrating that. And, and I love to walk down the hall and see the children singing and learning and, and playing. And, and it, just, it just thrills me to have them here. And I think, I'm so grateful for the people who work with them. One of the great joys this year is that our three-year-old granddaughter, Emma, is a part of the preschool. And uh, it's fun to hear her talk about how much she loves it. A couple of weeks ago, the circumstances of our family worked out that uh, her mom and dad said to me, could you think you could pick up Emma after preschool today? And I thought about that for a millisecond and said, I would love to pick up Emma after school today. And her mom told her when she dropped her off, Grandpa's going to pick you up at school today. And I found out later, she kept telling the teachers all day, my grandpa's going to pick me up from school today. My grandpa's going to pick me up from school. When 11.45 came, I walked down the hallway. The kids were outside. I went outside the playground. And she saw me and she came running over, grandpa, grandpa. And, you know, it's one of those things I would love to be able to bottle and just sniff that feeling every day of your grandchild coming, running with her arms open, grandpa, grandpa. And then she did something that I did not expect. She took me by the hand and she walked me over to her teachers and she introduced me to every one of them. This is my grandpa. This is my grandpa. This is my grandpa. This is my grandpa. What she doesn't realize is that I work with these people all the time. I know them all, right? I mean, these are not unfamiliar people to me. We see each other every day that school's open. But she wanted me to meet them. And two days later, I was reading in Philip Yancey's book about prayer, a story about a woman who says at their church, the rector tells them over and over again, whenever you pray for someone, imagine yourself taking them by the hand and leading them, presenting them to Jesus. And I thought to myself, that's it. That's really what we're doing. We're helping people see Jesus. And does it cost us? Yeah, it can. It probably will. But what joy, what joy to help people see Jesus. And we come to this table today because this is the visible essence, the visible presence of Jesus who has done that for us. And as the writer of Hebrews tells us, is continually interceding for us. Taking us by the hand. And presenting us to the Father.
I'd like for us just to take a moment just to, to ask God to give us a vision of someone, some circumstance, to give us a heart to really engage in praying for others as he calls us to. Father, thank you for the gift of intercession. Standing in the gap. Being partners with you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that makes all of that possible. We pray this morning that as we come to this table, your abundant blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, we may once again experience the fullness of Christ in our hearts. That we might help others experience it in theirs. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed... He took bread, gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, Do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. It just means to dip in. And as you're released by rows, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your row. Just let the ushers know, or if you simply prefer that. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time that you have ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, if you come today with the desire for Christ to be central in your life, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious Loving Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.